going to be 11 years before Christmas falls on Sunday again. Why not have baby dedication on this Sunday? And, and dedicate our children to the Lord. Jesus Christ came and gave his life for us, right? And what a more appropriate day to dedicate our children to the Lord. I want us to look at the life of a young man, a young child that was given. And I want us to look at this mother and see uh, the great, great, really great story here that God gives us in his word of what happened in this young home. It was a mother that could not have a child. God gave her a child, and she dedicated that child to the Lord. I believe it's a very appropriate passage for this day. Um, a few years back, four years ago, when, uh, four, four years and nine months, really, but when, when we knew Gwendolyn was, we were going to have Gwendolyn, uh, you all know the story, we, we could not have any children. And so when we knew that we were going to have a child, uh, I told them this story, we prayed for a child. And is our children a gift from God? Amen? This morning we remember that. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, that there was a certain man of Ramathosophim of the Mount Ephraim. And his main name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroboam, the son of Eliud, the son of Tu, the son of Zubh. And he had an Ephraimite. So he was of Ephraim. He had two wives. Uh, the name of one was Hannah. The name of the other, Aniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord and to help a host in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. They were there. And when the time was come that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peniah his wife and all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion. He gave her a bigger gift. Why? For the Lord, for, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. She was a fretting mother. She was constantly uh, nervous about the fact that she could not have a child. Uh, she was plagued by fear. She was plagued by anxiety. Uh, she was culturally struggling because uh, to be accepted in that day, you were married, it was expected that you would have a child, and she had not had a child. And so she was dealing with this rejection. She was dealing with all these things. And it says, um, and, and so he did, verse 7, year by year, when she went to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. So the other wife, Peniah, was provoking Hannah, and was just egging her on about it. Wherefore she wept, and did not eat. And she said to Elkanah, her husband, and he said, he said to her, Why weepest thou? Why, why eatest thou not? Why is the heart grieved? And not I better unto thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose after they had eaten Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. So she has not eaten. The rest of the family is all eaten. And she takes time to go meet with God. And in verse 10, it says, She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. She bowed a bow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Eli sitting there in the temple. 
He notices this woman over there praying. Hey, you understand, it must have been pretty rare that somebody actually came to the temple and really saw God in this way, because Eli didn't know what he was seeing. She was so earnest in her prayer that Eli didn't recognize she was praying. He thought something else was going on. He thought she was drunk, because in verse 14, after she gets done praying, Eli says to her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And I answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. And Eli, in verse 17, says to her, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. May God answer your prayer request. Verse 20, it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. The man of Hannah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and vow. But Hannah went not up. For she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord, and there abide how long? Forever, it says. Hannah's going to wait. Instead of going up with her husband every year to offer a sacrifice in the temple, she's going to wait until she is done. Probably the child will reach about two or three years old, maybe four. And until she was done nursing the child, and at that point, she was going to dedicate that child to the Lord, and the child was going to remain in the temple. Imagine that as a mother, letting your child come and be in the church for the rest of their life. Imagine that. But Hannah had no children. It was her only child. She could not have a child. And her promise to God was, if you let me have a child, I'm going to dedicate my child and they're going to live in the house of God for the rest of their life. Now, this morning, obviously dedicating our children, we're not going to name them. Live in God's house for their life. Okay, <laughs> they're not they're not going to be here, and uh, we're not going to put a room for them. Okay, but what we're doing as parents is we're committing to raise them to love God. We're committing to raise them to serve God and to follow God with their life. It says in uh, in verse twenty four, when she had gleaned him, she took him up with her, and three bullets, and one evening a bottle of wine and brought them to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was, look at what it says, young. And they slew a bullet and brought the, the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, is my soul liveth? My Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying to the Lord. For this child I pray, the Lord hath given me the petition which I asked of him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. I have loaned it to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. She brought her child to the temple to give him to God. Because the child was a gift from him. In this temple that we, we see in Luke chapter 2, Jesus was also dedicated to the temple. And they presented him in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. They presented him to the Lord. And so uh, Hannah was dedicating her child, remembering that it was a gift from God. When Hannah came to dedicate this child... The temple actually did not have good leadership. It was under the, the guidance, obviously, of the Lord, but Eli was a poor parent. The Bible says he never told his kids no. And his sons were so perverse and wicked that they were sleeping around with women who came to God's house. That's what they were doing in God's house. His sons were perverse, the Bible says. 
maybe that behavior in that very house of God. And now this woman comes and dedicates her son to love and to serve God. And the man of God had lost touch with God. So the temple was under horrible leadership. It was not a time that you would say, man, that's the place I want to go dedicate my child to serve and love God. I'm going to let my child go there. And people said, no, oh, that place is the place where there's some men that really do not know and do not love God. The temple was a mess. It was under poor leadership. The nation was in disarray. There were no other kids there serving. Too often, folks do things based upon their kids. Like, I'll go to this church and kids are my, my kids' age. You know what? I've learned that we're just going to raise our kids in this church whether the kids are their age or not. And my wife tells me, well, they probably have kids coming that are similar to our kids' age. And that often is the case. But it should not be only the case. We ought to be willing to take our kids to a church. We ought to be able to be willing to be in a church with our people that are not in our age category. Uh, this baby, Samuel, he was dedicated to the Lord. His mother committed to bring him to the temple. He was the only child there served. You say, he, how was he going to socially get along? He figured it out. He turned out to be a prophet of God. He's the one who went to David later on in life. I believe motives matter to God. And there was good motives here. The mother had good motives. See, God sees why he's pleased by our pure heart. And regardless, today is our recognition of his master plan. He has a plan. He has a blueprint, as we looked at last night. For each child, for each one of us. He has a plan. He has a master plan. He's still the boss, even if he got kicked outside. He's still in charge. He still has a plan, and the kids still belong to him. And if they're his, they deserve the best, the best years of their life belong to him. Jesus' parents raised him with a purpose. He was going to die for the sins of the world, and they wanted their son to do the Father's will. And today we remember the baby of the name who came and did the Father's will. He loves us so much that he came to redeem our souls, to die for our sins. And it's easy look, to become distracted in this Christmas season with all the lights. I love the lights. I love seeing all these things. But you know that back before 18, the 1830s, there were no lights here in the United States. And actually the German settlers began to put those Christmas trees in their home in the 1830s. They uh, had a tradition, it had been a tradition in German homes since the 16th century, back over in England. And outdoor community Christmas trees are recorded to be in Pennsylvania in the, 18, in the 18th century. In 1846, German Prince, Prince Albert and the wife, his wife, Queen uh, Victoria of England, publicly embraced the Christmas tree. And their popularity uh, led to the tradition becoming established in England and the United States. In the late 19th and 20th century, most of Americans began decorating their homes with homemade ornaments and Christmas trees. And some of these early traditions, traditions have seen revival uh, now in recent days. Uh, Thomas, and Thomas Edison's business partner, they developed and displayed the first Christmas tree by electric lights in the 19th century. The modern version of the Christmas tree was now complete, and it became a tradition. Look, I enjoy the, the scene, the bright Christmas tree. I enjoy seeing the light. But it's easy to become distracted in the season by all the bright festivities with the real meaning of the season that Jesus Christ came to give his life for us. He came and he loved us so much that he came to sacrifice himself for us. And the greatest gift we could give him is our life. The greatest gift we could give is to devote back our time to serve the Lord. As a parent on this day, I'm reminded that my children God's plan for them to serve him. God's plan is for every one of his creations to love and serve him. 
You know that if the people stop praising God, the Bible says the rocks would cry out and praise Him. You wonder why folks are so enamored by looking at cool sights. They'll travel to the wonders of the world. If you've ever been down through Virginia, you've seen the, the natural, natural bridge in Virginia. I remember as a young person, the first time I saw that, and I was, I, I actually think I had to drive myself to see it, because my parents weren't much for touristic things. And so I remember we stopped, but we never, we didn't want to pay to go in. But I was young. I do remember that. I remember stopping on the bridge and trying to look, trying to see for sure. Okay. And then when I was when I was going up to drive and going up East Coast myself, I remember stopping and going in there and paying whatever eighteen dollar fare to go look at it. It was beautiful. Okay. You look at it like wow. I did pay a lot to see this, but it was gorgeous, right? You look at that. People travel all over to see that and to see the caverns and the caves here in the in the Northeast. And then going out west in California, seeing the Grand Canyon. But oftentimes people see all these things, and they see the, the great sequoia trees, and they go and see the redwoods. And yet, yes, who created them? The Lord gave them to us. He is the one who made them. And too often we get so enamored by the creation that we can forget the creator. And these things display the very glory and the handiwork of God. And every person that God has used to bless your life, God made them. God created them. Aren't you thankful God brought them into this world? Aren't you thankful God gave those gifts to you? And each of these children today that they're dedicated to the Lord, they're, they're a gift to the Lord. They're a gift from the Lord. We often value our children's accomplishments by the following thing. They're grade point average. He has good grades. <clears throat> I wonder if there's going to be a scoreboard in heaven. He had 98.7. This one only had 75. Give him the shack out back. <laughs> he does not get to stay in the mansion. Really? No. Grade point average will not matter in heaven. Okay? We, we value our children based upon their behavior, their unique accomplishments. But how does heaven value these things? The greatest thing your child will ever do is serve the Lord in his house. He died for, what did Jesus die for? Colossians chapter 3 tells us he died for what? The, help me, what did he die for? Y'all are doing good. He died for the what? He died for sinners, yes, but he died for the church. All right? And so oftentimes we focus on, man, he died for me. Yes, he did. But he died for the church, the body of believers. And too often we get focused on our individuality. We forget the body that God intended for us to serve in. And he intended for the for the all of us to dedicate our lives to serve the Lord. To the earliest American Puritan communities, Christmas was sacred. And today, as we gather on this Christmas day, I think it's very important to remember, look, there was a time at which the only thing that was allowed to be, ha to be happening on Christmas Day was Christmas Day, uh, religious celebrations, church service celebrations. That was the only thing allowed. Back in 1659, in Massachusetts, uh, there in the Plymouth Colony, the governor tried to, to halt the use of evergreens and decorations he considered them to be pagan mockery of a holiday observance. And the outspoken Puritan leader, Oliver Cromwell, preached against the heathen traditions of singing carols and the use of decorated trees. Now, I like carols and I like decorated trees, okay? I'm not preaching against them, okay? But he did. Um, he feared they might distract from the sacred event. I agree with him. They might distract. And in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts declared any form of celebration of Christmas, on Christmas, other than a church service, was a penal offense. 
And people could be cited for hanging decorations of any kind. Well, we're thankful we don't live back then, right? We get to enjoy all the Christmas festivities. But let's remember, the reason they, they had uh, these laws back then was to encourage people to remember the Creator, the days of their It was to draw people's attention back to the Lord on His birthday. Biblical dedication. Let's look at a few thoughts from this passage that will help us this morning. First, God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. God knows what you need. Look at verse 10 of 1 Samuel. She was in, it says, bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Just a note, but you wonder sometimes we say, man, I prayed and God didn't answer me. Could it be that we didn't really weep about it? We didn't, we didn't really get to our heart yet? We just kind of like a flare prayer. Hey God, please give me that. And they didn't give it to you. And you're like, why didn't he give it to me? Maybe he wanted us to earnestly seek him about it. In the same way this morning, as my children earnestly wanted certain presents to be this morning. Daddy, please open this. Who wants the big name? Right? They wanted me to open it right now. Why did I so much celebration? They, they were so they were more excited about that than opening the presents we had them. And they were just so excited. I want you to open my present. Please, that right now. Why? Because it's important. If it's important, our request from the Lord, if we're asking for something important, shouldn't we go with a little bit of earnestness? God hears your prayers. Um, a friend of mine took his small son with him one day to run some errands. When lunchtime arrived, the two of them ordered a sent a sandwich there, and they sat down on the stools and the counter and lifted them. The father looked up the boy and sat beside him. They ordered lunch, and the waiter brought the food. The father said, son, it's a public place. We're just going to have a silent prayer. So dad got through praying first and waited for his son to finish, and his son didn't finish. His son was just quietly there, his head bowed, up for an unusually long time. And finally, when he looked up, the father asked him, what in the world were you praying about? All that time, and with innocence and honesty, the young child replied, How do I know? It was a silent prayer. <laughs> God hears your prayers. It's okay to pray out loud. It's okay to pray out loud in public places. Not to be a blessing, but it's, he's the creator of the universe. He hears your prayers. Uh, Samuel was unable, or uh, Hannah was unable to have a child. And she was grieved of her condition. She wanted to have a son. She wanted to be a mother. And she was misunderstood when she was praying. The nation was so full of this behavior of drunkenness that Eli's first assumption was that she was drunk, not that she was earnestly praying. He said, she's acting a little crazy. She's probably drunk. Because the entire nation was so full of that, and even his own sons were involved in things that should not have been happening. And so Eli's first assumption was that she was doing wrong. Well, today in our community, we're over 90% of the homes are full of that. Uh, no wonder Eli assumed she was drunk. It was a commonplace activity. But she had gone against the cultural norm. She was earnestly seeking God. Look at what John Bunyan said. But God hears your prayers. Look at what John, John Bunyan says. He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. He who runs from God in the morning will scarcely find him the rest of the day. You might, be too you might be too busy in your life. You might be too busy to meet with God in the morning. 
than the two digits. Okay, we've got a lot to do. I thank God for the parents in this room who earnestly pray to seek God. I thank God for the people in this room who know how to worship God. Don't substitute your fellowship with God for something else. These other things will pass away. God hears your prayers. Secondly, this morning, give Him your priorities. Give Him your priorities. Her first request was not that her son would make good wages. Look in verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look upon the affliction of thy handmaid, and remember me, and forget not thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. She says, God, I got one request with you. I want a child to serve you. That's my request, is that my child would grow up to serve you. I don't want him to have just good grades. I don't want him to get a best job. Too often our focus is on that. But none of our kids are taking those things in mind. The priority nowadays is simply on finances, but maybe the request of heaven should be, Lord, maybe our priority ought to be, Lord, may my child grow up and know you and serve you. May they give the best years of their life to serving Jesus. Her first request was not to be sweet or kind. Those qualities are nurtured by good parenting. Her request, she was not asking God for something that she could do. She was asking for God for something that he alone could do. Would you give me a child and I'll dedicate the child to serve you? I will give the child to you if you give the child to me. Her request was very simple. She's like, I'll train the child to love you, God, for this day. Her request was very simple. Her priority was very simple. In recent years, the head coach or the head coach who divorced his wife for 26 years, when he left coaching a college team to become the head coach in a national football league. He needed a wife while coaching on the college level for social functions and to show families that he would be looking out for their sons. But however, in, in pro football, it was unnecess an un unnecessary accoutrement and a distraction to win. And he said winning football was number, his number one priority and his two sons were his second priority. In contrast to this, Tom Landry, the former coach of the Dallas Cowboys, said, the thrill of knowing Jesus is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I think God has put me in a very special place, and he expects me to use it for his glory in everything that I do, whether coaching football or talking to the press. He says, I'm always a Christian. Christ is first. Family is second. And football is third. Different focus. Different priorities. Who's your priority? As we seek to raise our kids for the Lord and commit to do that. As parents, we're making a commitment. We're going to give God our priorities. We want Jesus to be first in our life. We've got to go thirdly forward with our promise. Go forward with our promise. Verses 24 through 28. Hannah has the child, and the automatic thing that we do is we ask God often for things, and then we take it back. Somebody has a car accident. They're sitting there, and they're blood all over their face, and they just they just are so thankful they're still alive. They look up, they look out, they can barely see out of the car, and the first thing they say when they, they pray, all of a sudden they say, God, if you'll get me out of here, if I can live, I'll, I'll do whatever. And they just automatically surrender, right, in that moment. But oftentimes, that's about as far as it goes. And there's no real commitment. The commitment for Christ doesn't begin in the tragedy, my friend. It begins at the, at the, at the beginning of our life. Committing to go forward with the promise that we have made. 
And Hannah committed. She was going to dedicate this child to the Lord. So she took three of her own animals. And she dedicated those animals with her son. She gave them to, at the, to the temple to offer them as a sacrifice to the Lord. Which, by the way, you say, why did they offer those animals? It was a picture that Jesus, the blood sacrifice, was going to come and die for all the sins of mankind. It was a picture of Christ. But she went forward with her promise. She even took some flour along. She took along some wine with her and her young son. You say, was that wine, uh, was, it, was it fermented or was it grape juice? I wasn't there, I don't know. But it, but it could have been either one. Okay? She gave all that she had. She gave all that she had. As adults, we lead the way by keeping our promises. Our promises to God. Do your children know that you'll keep the promises you made to God? Or do you just keep the other promises? Hannah kept the promise that she made to God. Hey, by the way, Alcana, imagine her telling that to her husband. I'm going to give this child to God. But Hannah, it's your only child. You haven't, haven't been able to have any kids. You know, this one, Alcana, this one's for God. This one's going to be dedicated to the Lord. I have a purpose, I have a plan, I have a priority in my life. And I'm going to go forward with that promise. I dedicated this child to serve the Lord. And Samuel was the only one who could hear from God. Often when the nation of Israel was listening to other voices. Go forward with your promise. The children all belong to him. Commit to love and raise your child to the Lord. Even if difficult times come. Booker T. Washington described being the next slave from Virginia. And in his book, Up From Slavery, he said, I found that this man had made a contract with his master two or three years previous to the emancipation of the population. And he made it to the effect that the slave was permitted to buy himself by paying so much per year for his body. While he was paying for himself, he was permitted to labor where he pleased. He had made a commitment to his master. And finding that he could secure better wages in Ohio, he went there to work. When freedom came, he was still in debt to his master, and he owed his master $300. Now, the Emancipation, Emancipation Proclamation freed him from any obligation to his master. He didn't owe his master anything else. But that man walked the greater portion of the distance from where he was in Ohio all the way back to his home to pay his old master back in Virginia. He felt that he could not enjoy his freedom until he had fulfilled his promise. He owed the man $300 he was going to pay. Too often we quickly get out of our promises to God. You got to make a commitment to God and you got to follow through. Go forward with your promise. Thank God for the example of those who, like this, were willing to commit and fulfill their promise even though they didn't owe it life. I bet you probably went back to that boss and actually said, you know, Right? But with the, the attitude in the heart, too often we're unwilling to fulfill our promise, we take the easy the road of convenience and We're tempted to become so possessive of our own children that we forget who gave them to us. But our children, your children, they're not our emotional therapy gift. People today uh, treat their pets often better than they treat children. And uh, I know that because I, uh, the animal being offered to give me some free 
God created them. We get to enjoy their laughs. We get to enjoy their personalities. I think of him. As she raised that child and nursed that, nursed that young child and knew as she was nurturing her child that soon she was going to take the child to the temple and she was only going to come see him once a year when she came to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. You say, what kind of a commitment was that? Imagine knowing as a mother you've given your child to grow up to serve God. And now every year you go back, you're fulfilling that purpose. You're going back and supporting the house of God, but you're also going back and you're remembering, you know what? When people come back home and say, Hannah, where's your child? He's in the temple. He's in the temple serving the Lord. He's there serving. He's there doing things around the house of God behind the scenes. Why? Because I dedicated him to the Lord. I had a purpose in life. I was going to give my child to serve God, and I fulfilled it. I can't follow through with my promise. I'm thankful Jesus followed through with his commitment. Imagine if Jesus would have rebelled at age 30 and just said, you know what? I enjoy being in the service. I'm not going to die for the souls of mankind. But he didn't. He followed through with the Father's plan. My friend, we ought to follow through with our commitments to the Lord. He created them. He gave these children to us. And every time we look into their eyes, may we be reminded they are a gift created to serve the Lord. God created them not to be caged up, not to be uh, closed in. He created them, my friend, to, in the home, this is our temp temporary training time, to train them to go out and serve the Lord, to train them to go run the race that God created for them. God wants to use them to do great things for Him. If they get saved and if they serve in the church, we have succeeded. If they have reluctance and disdain for the house of faith, it may be time to return them back to God. Uh, church is not just uh, a place for used car repair, okay? It's not just a place to fix up and mend our broken lives. It is also a place, and this year we focused on this, to raise and to train and to develop race car mentality family, okay? We're training the child to run the race for Jesus. We're building race cars. We're not just repairing used vehicles. Okay. We understand often in our life we wait and we use our life up for ourselves and then we give God the leftovers. And we say, you know what? God, God can use whatever He can use. He can use it. Yes, that's true. But we ought to, with young children, commit. You know what? We're not going to let this child just do whatever they want. We're training them to love Jesus. We want them to be uh, the best, run the best race possible for Jesus Christ. And look, children, I'm not promised, but you understand the analogy. We're not training them just to waste their life serving themselves but to run the race for Jesus, to grow up, to know and love his word. That's the goal. That is the purpose. And if we succeed at that, we have succeeded. Christ was holy. Christ was humble. And he loved the church, and he still loves it today. And as parents, each child that we have, that we've been given by God, we choose the path that they take. 
We must guide them to the deep walk of God. We must lead them to love and serve the Lord. We must never never settle for just to be a good kid. No, we must strive to see Christ formed in them. On this Christmas day, as we dedicate our babies to the Lord, our children, as parents, we're committing not to settle, but to strive to see Christ formed in them. Uh, you, might, you might have been to other types of churches where they might do uh, types of confirmations and various things. Look, the dedication of a baby is not their salvation. It is a parental commitment. It is saying, as a parent, I am committing to raise this child for Jesus. I want my child to grow up, to love, to know, to follow, to serve Lord. That's the goal. And so it's, it's a parental commitment. The child well, they'll see the photo. They'll remember the photo. You show them the photo. You'll tell them what happened. This is not their salvation. This is you committing to raise them to get to know their Savior. And one day they will then turn and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's an individual decision that they make when they turn from their sins and turn to the Savior. Okay, that's not something they do as an infant. That's something they, they do on their own when they understand. And my four-year-old is at the point where he's about ready to, to turn to Christ. She understands and, and look, they don't have to be 25 before they turn to raise in Christ. But we're committing to raise them to love and serve the Lord. We're committing, look, saying, you know what? I'm going to lay aside my priorities for my kids, and I want them to love Jesus like I want to serve him. I want them to fulfill this plan. If they grow up to serve God full time, they grow up to serve God part time, whatever they grow up to serve God, that's the goal. We want them to grow up to serve the Lord. They want, we want them to have a sweet spirit toward the things of God. That's what we want for our kids. We want them to love Jesus. Why? Because he is the one that matters. He gave his all for us. We want to commit to raise him for him. Let us return our attention now back to, to Psalms 127. Psalms 127. On this day, as we think of our children and dedicating our children to the Lord, I'm going to ask you as a church to make a commitment to, as family and friends, Your loved ones, these young children, these parents, they need your support, they need your love. This year our theme as a church, I think it's appropriately conclude the year with this theme verse. In Psalms 127, verse 1 has been our theme verse, except the Lord build the house, they wait in vain to build it. Except the Lord, it says, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waiteth but in vain. But in verse 3 it says, those children are in heritage of the Lord. Who do they belong to? Their gods. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. They are a gift from God. They are like young arrows. They're, they're, you say young arrows. They are. They're young arrows, okay? But an arrow is used for a specific purpose. And those of us who enjoy hunting, we use that arrow for a specific purpose. We keep the arrow straight. I have to check the arrow each time before we use it to make sure that it does not snap internally. And we use that, that arrow carefully with an intended target to kill a deer, okay, or some other creature that's within a certain distance. I probably often try to shoot him at 80 yards, and I miss, okay? Um, but there's, there's a purpose. The purpose is to use the arrow to fulfill the plan that's been given to us to raise them, to grow, and to fulfill the purpose God has for them, to get them off, to run the race. And we're asking God to help us to do that. Let's stand together. We're going to take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to help us 
maybe just in the room this morning, you would, uh, just as, as you have attended this evening's service this morning, you would commit as an individual, and you would ask the Lord to help you to serve the Lord in your life. On this Christmas day, as we remember Christ's sacrifice for us, you would commit to say, you know what, I want to, I want to give my life to serve the Lord. I want to commit, I want to ask the Lord to help me to, uh, to follow through and to call through my commitment. I want, to, I want to rededicate myself to the Lord. Maybe that's you this morning. And the Lord spoke to you through the message and you just say, you know what, uh, I need to recommit to follow the Lord with my life. We're going to have a moment to respond to the invitation. And we're going to have a moment as the piano plays where you quietly step out of your seat and be able to come up front and be able to pray. Right down here, go and be able to pray and speak to the Lord. Maybe you can do that in your seat. You'd like to pray right there. You'd like to ask the Lord to, to help you to dedicate to commit your life to the Lord. So if you already have done that, maybe this morning you do not know Christ as your Savior. You would ask Him to come into your life and you would give your life to Jesus. If you have not asked Jesus to come in your life and be your Savior, He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And today He invites you to receive His gift of salvation to trust in Jesus. If you've not done that today, it's the day to do it. You say, how do I do that? You need to call upon his name. You repent of your sin. You put your faith in front of him. The name of the Lord will be happy to guide you through God's word of how to do that. I encourage you to come see me out afterwards if you have any questions about putting your faith in front of him. As we get in place right now with our heads bowed, would you just take a moment to respond to the Lord? If God spoke to you in some way, would you just come forward and pray and ask the Lord to help you as you seek to pray?